You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, hey, and welcome to another very special episode of Fly on the Call. If you missed it over the weekend, you may be wondering why I'm coming at you a day early. Well, I'm very stoked to announce that starting today, the show is switching over to a 2-1-2 schedule. I'll be alternating weekly between releasing two episodes on Tuesday and Thursday, and one episode on Wednesday. That means I'll be able to share more great conversations with more amazingly talented people. And one of those people is Casey Cavalier. Chances are you're most familiar with him as one of the guitarists in The Wonder Years. But you may or may not know that he also works behind the board as a producer at True Level Studio. Adapting over the last year, a major part of his work has been on virtually with one-on-one artist development sessions, focusing on songwriting, the business side of music, and more. In this conversation, we discussed what he enjoys so much about this process, his songwriting and production philosophies, and of course, some Wonder Years talk to boot. We literally just recorded this last night, but I found the content extremely valuable and wanted to share it as soon as possible, so please enjoy. One of the things it seems that you're kind of like most excited about lately from the Q&As you've been doing is the kind of coaching that you do through uh, True Level Studio. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that and kind of what you enjoy so much about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, obviously, so uh, you mentioned True Level Studio. So that's been uh, a space that I've worked out of doing some uh, production work, just writing, um, you know, for Wonder Years. and. Uh, it was just kind of born out of a partnership of me and um, two other guys that needed a collective space to do a lot of the production stuff. Um, and ultimately just to store a, a ton of gear that was piling up in, in lockups and basements and, and houses all over the place. So, um, so we came together and uh, found a spot. It's like right across the bridge in Blackwood, New Jersey. And uh, more or less, uh, you know, started working with, local bands, different clients, you know, everything from mixing, mastering, writing, um, producing. And then, uh, so obviously it's no surprise, uh, last year, uh, the world kind of turned upside down. And I think when that happened, you saw across the entire industry, really a lot of people take stock of, you know, what they were really doing, what they wanted to do, what they could still do in the meantime, you know, if, if you're someone like uh, like us, you know, in a band that up until that point it was used to spending a lot of time on the road uh, and playing shows and, and interacting with real live human beings in the same room. Uh, so that well, that wasn't an option. Uh, uh, you know, I, I threw, threw myself a little bit more into uh, finding 
shelter and solace in the studio if i'm gonna you know quarantine at least i could do it there um safely and and not bother anybody and try to try to be creative uh but one of the things that you know came out of i I guess a lot of that clarity and realizing you know the things that we had been doing and, and how we've been utilizing that space and you know the relationship between my two other partners uh at the studio was that a lot of the bands that we had been working with would come in you know, we'd go through the the pre-production process, the whole phase of making a record, a song, or whatever you know role they were uh, they were asking us to to handle, um, be it just mix, master, whatever. And, and started realizing that there was a trend that it would never really just stop with, okay, there's the track, cool, we love it, um, see you later. Uh, felt like a lot of uh, specifically younger bands um, and or you know a lot of younger solo artists were at a real interesting crossroads where they were making music uh, and, and leaving the studio, having learned a lot, felt like they grew a lot, but were unsure what to do with that, right? So they had a record and they were like, great, like, I know that you can, you know, put it on Bandcamp. I know that you can get an account and get it up on Spotify, but like, what about everything else or, you know? And, and so I I'd normally I'd say, okay, well, the next time you come in or that, you know, the next session we have on the books, let's just take an hour afterwards and, and sit down and, and kind of chat about everything non-recording related, right? Because um, there's a whole lot beyond that, right, that's uh, that's super important. And started doing that, started just trying to give any advice I could from my experience with Wonder Years and, and what our career has taught me um, and what the people that I know, friends of mine, you know, that are extremely talented that I've had the privilege of of interacting with uh, throughout the years, uh, what I've learned from them, right? And trying to pass that along in whatever relevance it it might be to the point that they were at, um, you know, especially a lot of them at like a a stage where they were just kind of taking off, but still doing it all all themselves and independently um, and not having a ton of guidance or direction in in terms of pivoting one way versus the other and and things like that. Um, And, uh, you know, that that ended up seeming as though it was really valuable to uh, a number of those artists. And when the pandemic hit, uh, everybody obviously uh, dissolved into a Zoom call world uh, with family, friends, and telecommuting and work and everything. And I realized that that was one of the things that we could still do, that I could uh, could still do. And I kind of... uh, took a look and said, well, let me let me maybe pivot a little bit more towards that, focusing on that. Well, I can't have bands in the studio or everything that we had on the books for for that year in between Wonder Years uh, related stuff, um, you know, had kind of had to be pushed back and, and and moved around. And that's that's kind of how the the coaching uh, sessions came about as an extension of what I had already kind of been doing or trying to do, um, you know, with the the bands that had come to us in the studio, you know, in a studio capacity initially. And, um, and yeah, it's been awesome. Um, realizing, uh, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the reason and, and drive behind that and why I think now even just a year later, uh, I'm not only still doing it, but, you know, actively kind of engaging and trying to figure out even more ways to do it, uh, and ways to do it better and, uh, and other things that can be covered. I think it is because I, I took I took a look back at, you know, at my life when I was a kid and 
realize just how important some of the uh, mentors uh, were uh, for me actually being able to be here and be doing, you know, this as a career so many years later and and not taking that for granted and, and really respecting and appreciating some of those key figures, not even necessarily music teachers, but um, but people that were that were pros in the industry and had incredible careers or incredibly talented and even just took a beat to give me some feedback or, you know, took an interest in something very early on when they really probably didn't have the time or didn't need to be that candid or, or honest with me and take time out of their schedule. So, uh, you know, I never forgot that. And I'm trying at least to pay that forward now with a lot of that coaching um, and, and just, you know, general mentoring and trying to hopefully inspire everybody the way that I've been inspired and we as a band continue to be inspired by the people around us. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I'm curious, have, have you kind of like learned any lessons uh, yourself about like kind of this, this new generation of musicians that you kind of didn't expect going in? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the other side of that coin really is I I don't think you ever stop learning. And for me, uh, I, I love, I love the old kind of adage where the best way to learn something is to teach it. Uh, so for me, I'm like going through and it's it's such a wonderful re- refresher course in all of these like really core values and beliefs about uh, creativity, songwriting and just production and exploring that on a daily basis. But through the lens of somebody that maybe isn't aware of some of those things and, and it, you know, it's it's such a cool way for me to get back in touch with the basics of a lot of those things, whether it be just music production or, or songwriting or trying to think uh, creatively and um, authentically about, you know, your vision as a brand, as an artist and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, um, looking at it now and seeing where, where everybody uh, is at, I mean, everybody's always in a different place, but the, the the realm that we live in now is is this you know everybody's got a laptop a home studio of some sort even if it's just a guitar plugged into a usb you know interface um you don't need much to to be able to get creative you know sometimes you don't even need that i i i talk to people that are you know all they have half the time or even if it's you know in like a you know, an early uh, pre-production phase with the band, uh, I'm getting iPhone demos, you know, it's just, it's still just like the phone in the middle of a room, you know, a practice room running through a song, right? So, um, uh, but I think learning that uh, that common thing and that it's so, so easy to get so much further ahead so quicker and you know and in such a such more cost effective way than it was even when i was a kid even when i was 12 years old and and we've had we have plenty of conversations of the gear that i you know we grew up on and this is making me feel old but uh, you know it's funny enough it's because of you know the last 20 years so much has happened exponentially with technology that uh, i think it's it's really interesting to see how creative and how a lot of musicians even ones that like sometimes don't let a lack of innate talent stop them, you know, like, um, uh, I think where there is a lot to be said for where there's a will, there's a way. And I'm, you know, learning new stuff every day about, uh, what other, other bands and artists are, are doing and trying out there, uh, and having success with. And, and I try to take that into my practice and, and ultimately pass it along. If there is some other, you know, 
interesting thing and, and trying to be um, as creative as possible. And, uh, you know, some other bit of ingenuity or something that I see, it's like, hey, that that's a great idea. You know, that might not be the perfect, like, you know, copy and paste for another artist, but maybe that's some really good food for thought. They can kind of awaken something else. So, yeah, it's like I, I never uh, in no way I don't think I'd be doing any of this um, if I for a second pretended to like know it all or, ha- you know, feel like there was nothing to learn out there. But, uh, you know, I just hope that at, at least um, there's something that I can, you know, offer while I'm learning. So it's uh, it's a nice back and forth transaction for sure. And you mentioned kind of like the getting back to the basics of, you know, songwriting and creativity. And I'm curious, what are, what are some of those guiding principles for you when it comes to songwriting and production? Oh man. Yeah. Well, now you're, now you're really going to get me going on, on a tangent. This is, this is the good stuff. This is what I love to talk about. This is um, what we do in a lot of these. Um, I think first and foremost, you're looking at, uh, you're looking at telling a story, right? And that seems like, like a no brainer and pretty simple, but uh, there's a lot of ways to tell a story, right? So if you look around in any medium, whether it's film, music, literature, there's so many different ways to tell a story. So I think uh, understanding really getting inside what the story is and, and maybe what the perspective is. One of my coaching sessions the other day, I mean, really got deep into the imagery and the actual time, place, setting and moment of, you know, uh, realization and how that, you know, transforms a perspective and then taking that to, you know, how do we represent those things instrumentally or musically or, you know, through a soundscape. And, uh, and that's a perfect example of, you know, it's all there in the story. If you just decide what the story is and, and what that story, you know, is trying to make someone feel right. And then, you know, on that same token, I think it's, it's realizing that it's about connection, right? I think art is ultimately here to try to establish a connection between people and to elicit a reaction good, bad, ugly, sad, whatever. Um, I think that's what really great art does. Uh, and it's definitely a subjective thing, um, which is also kind of nice because you can, you know, one person's trash is another person's treasure, right? Like there is no one song in the world that everybody unanimously likes short of, you know, um, I don't know. There's, there's probably, there's probably one or two that get close out there, uh, but only for so long. And then the next generation turns their back on it and says, no way that's, uh, that's lame as hell. So I think that's the other, um, the other real big, you know, core focus and, and takeaway that I try to really remember and, and kind of keep coming back to as far as that goes. And then ultimately, I think, you know, I because I, I, I think about things in two ways. I think about the underlying song, which is kind of the narrative, the emotion. And then I think about translating that to a lot of what we do, obviously, nowadays is trying to fix that on recording and make an almost larger than life version of that. Um, or maybe if it's not larger than life, just trying to translate the emotion of that story to a fixed medium which is which is kind of which is kind of difficult sometimes if again if you don't know what that emotion is or what you want it to make make you feel right or make the listener feel so then the other the other side of it is really looking at listener experience right so you can have a great story but if the person that's telling it is not a great storyteller it, it might fall flat and you you might just 
put that one away or never get through it, right? Um, just because of the way it's being told and and how it's presented. I think a lot of times there's great stories out there, but some of some of the authors are so incredibly creative. Sometimes tend to have a style that's pretty dense, right, and tough to read. So I I, I sometimes kind of look at that in the same way of like um, of production and instrumentation and things like that when you're approaching a song and songwriting and and saying, okay, let's make sure it doesn't get in the way uh, of it, um, you know, of what we're trying to do here. And let's make sure everything supports that song at its core and, and translates that emotion in the best way possible. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes you just got to get out of the way and say this song and this vocalist are doing a thing that is so raw and real. We just have to make sure that is there at the forefront, you know. Um, but uh, that's another one that I, I think comes up a lot for me um and is so uh so perfect to see especially when starting um at the beginning with a song where maybe it is just a singer sending an acoustic you know strumming on an acoustic with a song i mean a lot of wonder your stuff starts this way you know um with just like playing a guitar riff on you know grabbing my phone real quick and doing it in the back of the van or you know, maybe it's Dan writing something down and being like, I don't want to forget it. And so he's in like the hotel bathroom, you know, with his phone on the counter, just kind of like yelling and belting, you know, um, a line or two. And uh, and I love it because that's also a moment where you kind of just know and you learn to trust your gut and instinct that it's uh, I mean, and sp- speaking specifically with Wonder Years uh, material, I think. Now, more than ever, I can even hear just a fragment or two, a line or two, um, one little riff or like a, a couple measures of a drum and bass groove. And I'll already get excited uh, about seeing where th- I think that song could go. Maybe it does. It decides not to go there when we collectively refine, you know, the lane that the song is between the six of us. But um, I think it's an, an amazing thing to be like to just inherently know. Uh, when you hear such a small piece of it, it's like, that's, that's gold. That's it. There's, and I think it's, you know, it's cause that, uh, it speaks to that emotion, you know, that, that realness, um, and knowing that if it immediately hits you and connects with you, there's a great chance that it's probably going to do the same thing with another human being for, for that kind of intangible. So yeah, those are probably, those are probably the, the two big ones. I mean, there's plenty more, but you know, um, for another day <laughs> going off of that from other stuff that i've seen you talk about as well it seems like you know brainstorming and kind of following each idea to its conclusion to see where it fits or even where it doesn't fit is kind of like uh, a philosophy of yours and i'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about like that mindset going into it yeah no uh that's a great point i think um so sometimes the first idea is really strong and is really great and sometimes it's not right Um, but the point being that like that 12th iteration of that idea might actually be the jump off point for what becomes the biggest song of your career. So I think what you're kind of speaking to and what you're right, you know, I do try to preach a lot, especially when it comes with, with songwriting and, and trying to get outside of anything that's, you know, that's holding you back or blocking you up or, you know, at some sort of creative stalemate is getting in and doing the work and and saying it's okay to make mistakes, to get through, to create something that the next day you you wake up and you're like, "Ah, this is trash, right? But you have to kind of keep going on it. And uh, I think uh, I just 
just listening to who was it maybe ben gibbard talk about how finishing ideas was really important and even if he's halfway through a song and he knows it's not going to be something that's going to make the album he'll just say okay i'll still finish it i'm still going to finish it right now maybe you don't you know rack your brain to death about you know putting every last um bit of energy and creative uh and creative juice into that song but you but you still finish it right because maybe what happens is yeah that first two-thirds of that song you know that it wasn't really hitting you and and that you were probably just like lying to yourself because you wanted it to be something but if you finish it maybe there's something in that third uh that last third right something maybe uh, you know a little melody a little vocal tag a little lyrical idea that sows something else inside you that maybe you lift and and start a new idea with right so and you'd never really get there if you didn't finish that you know that part of it and i think uh it's very hard and i spent a lot of years when i was younger and still struggle with it uh probably on a weekly basis to some degree uh, with finishing things. And, you know, I, I think perfectionism is a, a serious uh, enemy of that, uh, of productivity. And I think that's a perfect example. If you can finish something, the quicker you can finish something, you can get feedback not only from yourself, but also feedback from other people, right? Um, you know, there's a lot more to be had, I think, from having a conversation with a friend and being like, man, I just wrote this song. It's, it's, it's not great. I, I, I'm not even sure there's anything good in it. And them saying, well, let me check it out. And you being like, okay, cool. Here it is. Verse. Yeah, it's not finished though. So like, you know, um, I'll send it over when it's finished. Right. But you in your heart of hearts and, and deep subconscious, no, it'll probably never be finished. So you'll probably never send it. So you'll probably never be able to get that. Hey, yeah, you're right. I don't think it's, you know, really working lyrically, but that groove in the intro, there's definitely something there. And then maybe that's the that's the little piece that, that brings everything, you know, to light uh, for a new song or idea that does make the record, that does go on. So uh, I, I love that you brought that up. Yeah, I, um, I, I wholeheartedly believe the more you can do to put yourself in a position where you can finish stuff, you know, that doesn't mean that speed is the goal, right? You know, quality is still... We're still looking for the things that resonate with us and, and those aha moments, but you have to do the work and, and be consistent at it to get to those. So, uh, And from like a production side of things, how do you kind of like balance that, you know, between the want to kind of follow those to the conclusion and, you know, a band that might not necessarily have all that time in the studio? Yeah. Uh, and again, this is where, some some hybrid models a lot of times i think are starting to really come into play and where uh, like i was discussing earlier talking about home studios and being realistic uh a lot more can be done and this is why as someone who owns a studio like normally you'd think well it doesn't behoove you to tell people to go you know get a home studio set up but i think the point is that you know collaboration is always going to be really important uh to grow what you're doing and get a better final product it's a matter of where you need that collaboration and at what point but this is a perfect example where if you're somebody that even gets to like a basic level of literacy even in just garage band or logic and and have a little interface then you might have time go into the studio get the basics get the song structure and you know 
pre-production idea down. And then maybe you have time on your own, you know, that where you're not like burning money in the studio to sift through a bunch of ideas. And maybe you're working remotely with someone that then you can send those, you know, to a producer or to, you know, a collaborator of some sort, another songwriter, and they can listen to them. So you're not, you know, wasting two days to get to an idea and paying for two days in the studio to get to an idea that ultimately everybody feels kind of lukewarm about, right? Um, but at the same time, if it is an idea that brings something truly to the next level or to a place that it never would have gotten, having that time is afforded to you by having the capability to play around, you know, and, and be, being able to use technology in that way, I think, can give people so, can really provide some creative opportunities to do what you're talking about and, and expand those ideas and give people time that they can do at home whenever they want, you know? Um, but I think ultimately, you know, that being said, that's also a big ask. And that's not, you know, that's not me trying to put pressure on everybody saying you're an idiot. If you're not doing it all yourself, you know, I think, I think nowadays too, um, there's this, uh, you know, there's this allure of, uh, of being such a, you know, a self-made like, independent DIY artists we're kind of in that era right um and that there's so much to be said for that and there's people out there that I I look at and I'm like I'm not actually a hundred percent convinced you're not a robot you know uh I don't know how you do this uh I'm a human being and I like to think I work hard and I feel like I couldn't accomplish like 20 percent of what it seems like you're doing um turns out uh it's probably because they're enlisting help in some way or they're smart enough to know that they need help uh with certain aspects of that but all that being said yeah i think um you, you don't have to take it all on that doesn't mean you have to do the full production the mixing the master you know but but maybe a por- a part of the process you can you can handle yourself you know i have guys that um that have a recording bra- background or you know have been writing and doing demoing for a while and sometimes we'll get to the end of a project and we'll be like, man, would love some some woes and some nice like football harmonies, you know, over this chorus or, you know, we just didn't have time to get there. And maybe that's a discussion where, hey, maybe the rest of the time in the studio this week is better served covering the rest of these guitar overdubs and, you know, playing around with a few of these ideas because maybe you can go home and just do the like, midi recording for the synth pad that's just the one note drone over that you know what i mean maybe maybe that's you know what's a better use of the time and their skill sets so there's sometimes there's there's instances where we will say hey can you just track the background harmonies at home because then at least you don't have to pay for the studio i can fly them in or if we need to do them again or need to change something if you're open to going back and recutting them then you know maybe that's an easier easier route to go so i think there's a there's a lot to be said for uh, being flexible in, in that era and, and being able to do some stuff on your own. And going off that idea of flexibility, and I guess kind of pivoting a little bit to Wonder Years stuff, I'm really curious about the writing process for Out on My Feet and Breakless, you know, which were essentially written during the quarantine. And I know the impetus for them were kind of like scrapped lyrics from Dan's archives, but I'm curious, you know, how it was kind of approached instrumentally. Yeah, uh, that was a fun project. Um and they, you know, they, we, we had a, the catalyst there, uh, in the sense that we had those lyrical fragments that kind of put us back in that headspace. And we took a few looks at, you know, what would upsides and suburbia us approach it with, what would be our go-to 
for me that was that was fun but in the same way we we aren't those people you know we have lived through those periods and have um uh, have all of that i guess um you know experience uh from from understanding what worked what didn't what we liked what we didn't so let's refine our taste and it's it's a part of the narrative of what we enjoy and and like as musicians but we've definitely there's so much has transpired since then so much music has been written since then that uh i think there's there's no way to fully just go back and you know try to you know write something that is exactly that for that time and place but i think this is about you know as close as we would want to get i think uh in all honesty because i think there's always and anybody in a band knows this especially if you've been in a band for a while and and made a lot of records and and evolved your sound at all listening to old uh to old recordings and old songs uh it can be kind of a bittersweet thing i I think i've taken a, a bit of a nostalgic approach to it uh in that um i realized i did the best i could to fill fulfill my taste and creative outlet as an artist at that given all factors at that time and place uh, so i can't i'm not gonna waste too much time going back and second guessing myself and saying oh man like i wish i would have calmed down there in that verse and not tried to like play so much you know um so some instinctual things that i think only come with time but um with these two songs specifically, it, it was it was like we could dive into that mindset, but with the tools that we have now uh, and restraint uh, and and intuition that we have now as songwriters uh, and as arrangers, you know. And so you you talked about instrumentally. I think um, from a guitar standpoint, it was almost like uh, you know if we could go re-record "Came Out Swinging," I think that would sound not that uh, not that the the original version uh, didn't do us just fine um and uh everybody else is okay with it as well but like uh if i would go back that wall of sound would that would sound different if you know um i think if we were doing that now just because it's different gear it's a different thought process and we have different techniques for layering stuff you know but uh that that was the fun part of it so we you know from that uh from that overall arrangement uh approach um it it was it was taking a modern look at you know an old style i guess uh is the best way to put and one of the things that stood out to me most about like the the essays written for the the box set was dan mentioning kind of the the somewhat obsession with the overarching like ebb and flow of suburbia um, and I'm curious kind of how that intense attention to detail affected both those writing sessions and, you know, going forward, your future writing sessions. So we have a number of ways of communicating different ideas when it comes to putting together cohesive flows for our albums um, as a whole. Uh, I think that's that's maybe something that is a little bit lost on in modern pop music and with, you know, the delivery methods of a lot of songs. But I think that's something that for us personally, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way, but for us, you know, as musicians, the, the bands that we grew up listening to and that really, you know, were the reason for us getting into the music and scene that we did. Um, and so heavily were all bands that, that put out, albums that felt like albums you know that that when you think of you know a song 
I, I, I kind of bring this up with like old, you know, Green Day albums. It's like, um, like if you, you know, you listen to like you almost picture one track going in and out. And so the transitions become their own moments, you know, in and of themselves than just like the song that you that you heard, you know, one after the other on a radio so much so that I remember like uh, we uh, in Philly, there used to be a station called Y100. And I think they actually used to play those two tracks off of Dookie back to back, like one right into the other. And when I heard it, I was like, yes, this is how it should be. Um, you know, I was like, I almost like the DJ just forgot to like stop it and play and go to the next one. But I was like, oh, my God, this DJ gets it. Like, finally, you know, it's like I every time that song ends, you need to hear this it going into this next one, this next guitar part. Um, and so I think there's something about that that we always try to do and, and try to structure things to, again, going back to what I was talking about before, understanding the listener experience and the engagement and what that looks like on the other side, um, you know, and, and how that, how we ultimately want it to be processed, I think. And, and the songs that, you know, lyrically we'll try to tie concepts together. I, we've been, I've been talking a lot, um, I just want to sell it. My funeral has been coming up uh, a lot online. Um, a lot of people would like to, uh, uh, I'm sure, maybe tune into this to hear a little bit more about things like that. But, um, you know, ideas like where that pulls back these central themes from the record and, and lyrically, they it moves along and reaches that point. Uh, we try to do that musically. And I, I've always loved looking at little themes or motifs that I can pull out that can you know, shift the energy can come back and, and where to use those moments. I think maybe a couple records ago, maybe on greatest gem was the, not the first time, but um, one of the, uh, the record that I think we started really maybe realizing some of the things that we learned about what, uh, what worked really well with the suburbia track listing uh, in that we were shooting for moments, you know, mm -hmm. and thinking it that way. And, uh, you know, a moment didn't, need to be hey how hard can i hit somebody over the head with three guitars and a kick drum you know uh it's it was maybe a little bit more of well a moment can also be when the dynamics just drop out to the floor and it's nothing but a vocal right and um i think suburbia you know because of that because it has it almost works in a three movement sense we tried to do that and weave this commonality throughout it um, not only with the storyline, but also, you know, musically and, and those, you know, the suburbia I've given you all now, nothing that was a, a, a candid choice for us to put those all in a triple meter, right? So that they uniquely felt like that um, uh, all through, you know, one by one. So when you're getting to it, even if you that wasn't the first thing you were thinking about it, it is a decided shift in cadence with each one of those uh, that kind of pulls through to the end as well so uh you know we'll we'll we've pulled out the whiteboards we man we love whiteboards uh we will not write without them anymore um it looks like a honestly uh it looks like a a high school football locker room with just like you know um zigzags and lines and even as crazy as kind of visualizing the energy in in terms of like graph form even talking about a song you know it's like it's something so simple and rudimentary, but I think it really gets to the heart of maybe someone trying to pitch an idea for a song. If you immediately say, okay, cool. So like it starts out there and then builds all the way like that, or it kind of just goes like this 
and then hops down and then goes like this and then hops down, right? You, you can immediately digest and start to extrapolate what the song structure and arrangement and components might feel like for that. So we do that on a, on a micro level, um, you know, even with certain sections of a song and then pull it out uh, to a full song. And then even talking about it when, when it gets to track listing time, that's, you know, that's a component for how we want it to flow and why. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of all in on the conversation when it comes to that and, uh, and trying to marry that with, I think I sometimes forget kind of just how big of a moment Suburbia was for the Wonders because the Upsides was like my entry point to the band. And then I have like a lot of really specific memories tied to the greatest generation. But I mean, like for the GK tour, you're selling out shows left and right. And, you know, added a bunch of those matinee shows where you played the album in full. And, you know, the writing sessions were just this crazy whirlwind, you know, less than a year after the release of the Upsides with maybe 10 weeks off in between. and uh, you know, recording it that quickly. Um, I'm curious, what are kind of some of the the moments that stand out the most to you from that time period? Yeah, it was wild. And what's funny is with the uh, with the anniversary re-release that we just put out of both of those albums, kind of going back and realizing, oh my, oh my God, they came out like so, you know, so close together. And that time period for us, so much was happening. And yeah, we were really uh, hitting the pavement hard and touring hard. So it was, uh, you know, it was brutal, but in the best way, you know, in um, in a way where all of us were really excited, you know, maybe a little apprehensive, starting to like toy with, uh, you know, or grapple with the idea of like expectation kind of coming into play now, you know, um, you put out a record and you're like, everybody loves it. It's like, then you start to hear things like, well, there's no way they can top that record. And you're like, wait, I never even thought that we would get to a point where anybody would care about a record, you know, let alone like people being like, there's no way like they'll ever do anything better. It's like, it's, you know, like, I feel like it's just, we're just getting, we're kind of just getting going here. Um, Like give us a chance. But then, you know, so it's almost this becomes this self-imposed pressure that we start to, you know, try to, try to avoid and leave, but also are very grateful to have the opportunity for that. Um, and, you know, try our best to, to keep our heads on straight, you know, and put out a, a great record that also, you know, doesn't feel rushed, but felt like it had the same weight, if not more weight as, you know, what we tried to convey and, and put across with Upsides, which was, you know, the first, first full length album that we as a band kind of got behind it and and brought some uh more meaningful themes to the surface uh for us as of so yeah i mean it, it was crazy i you know down to the practice spaces i get a lot of uh dan is actually much better in terms of a uncanny photographic memory uh when it comes to to dates and things like that but um but i will say that's definitely that that period as a whole um from the first time, I think shortly thereafter, uh, you know, the first time we uh, ended up doing Warp Tour, we were playing a lot of songs off of that record, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, I just was talking about that recently and, and what that is like and, and was like and such a memorable thing. And I think it all kind of encapsulates uh, that the realization where that record, when Suburbia came out specifically, we were like, oh, shit, we 
we might be doing this for a little bit here, guys. You know, um, when I, I think even up until like when Upsize was coming out, we felt the excitement. We knew the release shows were really intense for us for that record. And, you know, seeing a, a local fan base kind of, um, you know, really explode uh, and starting to realize, oh, we can we can. This, there's a fire here that we can maybe feed a little bit, uh, but I think Suburbia was was probably the one, at least for me, that I, I realized, you know, in no way were we, like, resting on our laurels. It almost felt like, wait, something's happening. We got to we gotta hit the gas now and and kind of didn't look back for, uh, for five or six years, honestly, like, through Greatest Gen and No Closer. Um, you know, it, it, it almost seems like they, they kind of all strung together. But yeah, man, I was just looking at uh, footage of that GK tour and that came up and the vinyl that we did for it um, was awesome. And that's one of my favorites still to this time. We're incredible. Some of my favorite. And I think we act- I think that might have been the back to back tour where, well, don't don't quote me on this. Uh, I didn't say this, uh, but where we may have just stayed overnight at one of my uh, favorite venues growing up. And that was an odd experience um, hanging out there uh, overnight. Um, well, no one else was around. That was a that was an interesting. But yeah, uh, it was cool. It was really neat. And uh, so grateful that we got to have those experiences and so grateful that we got to kind of share, reshare some of them and retell them uh, with the way the book came together for the anniversary box set. So we, uh, we love doing that. And it was so cool to, to see everybody's reaction and, and, and get everybody's takes and see how it hit that. It's interesting to me that you're in sort of a similar situation that you were after Suburbia came out going into the Grace Generation, where it's like you have two albums with a sort of a, a newer sound, a different sound. Um, and then you're kind of, you know, the Grace Generation kind of capped off a lot of sonic and lyrical themes. Um, and I'm curious, does it kind of feel like you're in a similar transition point for the band? You know, I think the band, in one way or the other, has always been in a transitional point. I think that's one of the things that's kind of mirrored our process has been the way we've been growing as people and the way life doesn't stop for the people that listen to our band as well. And I think that's a lot of the the shared commonality in life experience or, you know, relating to the world and things that are happening and ongoing. So in that way, we've always been in a transitional period. But yes, like Greatest Gen did in some ways uh, maybe put a hypothetical pin in some of those things well that wasn't necessarily our intent when we set out you know putting out the first album it it did it did kind of happen that way but i think now it's a it's an interesting point where we've realized that for all the things that we've done and all the things that we've tried that i'm incredibly proud of i think we feel really grateful that we have the opportunity to kind of go anywhere are we going to make a nine inch nails record no um you know it's no great surprise i think uh there will always be a part of us that's attached to playing loud high energy punk rock uh that hits you with uh what we hope are very meaningful and candid lyrics right so uh, i think in a way we realize maybe with no closer to heaven but really on sister cities that, that allowed us to, you know, to branch out and try a few things that a wonder years song and a wonder years record is just going to be the sum of the six of us. And wherever that collectively decides to take a song that it feels good. 
and it's but it's always going to have those elements at, at its core you know um it's always going to have that voice it's always going to have that character and i think it's always going to have that perspective and uh that kind of attitude to it um even if it's not a super fast uh you know punk rock song off suburbia right so i you know i don't know but all i can say is we really did have a lot of fun doing those two new songs and doing those two new songs in that style so i wouldn't be surprised if you know when we start to uh shift into deciding what songs are going to comprise a new release or what songs will you know will put forth into the world next uh that some that uh that share a good bit of similarity to the to the color and concept of those uh, show up there. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all, uh, and that's probably about as much as I can <laughs> say uh, for sure right now. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I love that you said that it's kind of like a sum of the six of you, and how you said the band is kind of like always in a transition because I feel like it's kind of the perfect combination of musically, you're very true to yourselves. And then like on the, I guess, business side of things, for lack of a better word, it's like you're probably one of the best bands that I know at at like fan service, at like giving the fans these unique experiences that they want, you know, whether it's the the VIP sessions that you've done or the the box set that you did or the Sundrance Pavement Society. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about like that side of things and, you know, how you approach that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really that's really powerful to hear you say that and we uh we do put a lot of time and energy uh into that exact aspect of what we do as a band i think when we first started this band you know like a handful of people that you know those first shows were like oh shit they know our lyrics like okay well i guess we better not play horribly then you know talking about the you know the disappointment or expectation factor and i think that's always kind of followed us where we we've always seen ourselves as trying to over deliver in some way you know i think that was strung through when we played live we always wanted to try to make an impact it's very tough when you're a band at the bottom of a bill on a tour where any but where people only want to see the headliner you have to work you feel like you have to work extra hard to give yourself the best chance of putting something uh forth that they'll remember that they'll take away with them right and so for us it was okay go as hard as we can we get a half an hour we're going to use that half an hour to kill ourselves and and leave it all out on the stage right so that was us trying to over deliver and sometimes you know that maybe yielded some some positive results and sometimes it didn't right uh but um I think in the same way, when it comes to now realizing that we've been able to have this career uh, that's lasted going on two decades now, that uh, that it's be- because, in fact, of all of the support from those fans that some of whom have been there since, you know, the first inception of the band, you know, and uh, have been supportive through everything that has given us the opportunity to continue making music that we, we never want to take that for granted. Right. Because that is, you know, at the end of the day, yes. So it it is being in a band with my friends that then also turned into us running a business and trying to figure out how to continue to make a living with the goal of being able to 
make more music. So it's really just like it is a way for us to try to allow ourselves to continue always putting new things out for the people that have already supported us in what we've in what we've put out. Uh, so we always that's honestly always where our focus tends to lie and tends to land and and the compass that I think tries to tries to guide us through every album cycle, every new release, uh, really anything from the ground up that we think about when we're thinking about merch designs. It's it's really it's like what what would our, like our fans what have they been asking for right what like what would they what do we think they would really enjoy? What do we think they haven't seen that would be really unique and really special for them? And how can we do it? You mentioned the Suntrans Pavement Society. That was, you know, a unique idea that we wanted to experiment with because we knew that, yeah, it's probably not going to be for everybody. But the people that were really close to the family and, and close to our heart, we thought it could be a really neat opportunity to give them a, something, you know, really special and uh, and, and a memorable year in that way. And, uh, you know, I think it there were there were pros and cons to everything. But I think that uh, showed a lot of us realizing that, you know, our core fan base is I, I feel like every band says this, but I don't care. I'm going to say it because it really is true. Our fans are some of the sweetest, most genuine people that that any band could ask for. And I'll, I'll kind of say this. I've heard people say over the years, and I think it's it's really true that you don't always get to choose your fans, right? You can start out and and say, I want like what I think a fan of this band would look like, and, and be like, that's who I want to hang out with, right? And then all of a sudden, like the song gets picked up on like modern rock radio, and then you have guys in Nickelback t-shirts coming to your show, and you're like, wait, where are we? Like, what you know, what did, what happened? What did we do? But you're also like, well, but we're selling like 5,000 tickets a night. So I guess that's also good. Uh, or then you're like that weird band where everybody comes and sits through like a weird hour just to hear the one radio single, you know. Um, and I think, you know, given the given the chance and going back, I, w- I would not have the career that we've had uh, play out any other way because it's taught us a lot of really important lessons. And one of them is exactly that that always trying to to look at how we can uh over deliver and really show the people that give us this livelihood how much we really do care because i think sometimes even words get lost and or they're said so much that they start to lose their meaning uh, and impact but i think that's ultimately what we hope is that through the actions that we take in trying to curate sets do really interesting vip experiences or just let people know in really subtle ways um, that uh, that they've given us a gift that we can't possibly forget and trying to pay it back, um, which also I think in a lot of ways goes back to what we were talking about with even, um, you know, the coaching or the mentoring through the studio. I think that's part of me where I'm just like, hey, I'm lucky enough to have been doing this for long enough to, as it turns out, learn some shit. Um, and it's because I had people that were there to be like, hey, you should really think about this or you're not doing this, you probably want to work on that, right? Um, and, and give me that feedback. So that's also a way of like, even for fans, but also younger musicians that are or aren't Wonder Years fans. Uh, I think that's a really important way uh, that also for me personally, we can kind of can kind of give that advice and, and pay it 
pay it forward. And- For sure. Yeah. I think that's the perfect uh, kind of not to tie on the conversation. So I'll uh, wrap up with the the question that I end every uh, episode with, which is um, just by asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately, uh, whether it's, you know, music or life in general, just something that you would like to share. Oh man. Yeah. You know, uh, I will, I'll probably say this. Um, cause I feel like this in some way ties into a piece of whether it's songwriting or creativity or in general, looking forward to anything that I think you want to do uh, with your life or, or trying to see where it's going and, and, and try to, trying to accomplish anything. Uh, I, you know, I think observation is a really huge thing and I, I've been kind of ruminating on this thought and idea a lot recently and knowing having a plan is really good. And I think there's a lot of merit to being able to sketch out a playbook for where you want to go. And I definitely think that's necessary, but I think there's also uh, a really valuable opportunity in observing where life and the things around you are going and and seeing what kind of opportunities that might be presenting that maybe you're missing. Um, I know, I mean, I've probably missed tons. Um, I'm sure everybody does. That's also kind of part of it is having that, uh, that hindsight um, idea creep in from time to time. But I think that's for me, uh, the idea of just trying to be mindful and, and observe the things around you. I mean, if you're a songwriter, there's your story, there are your songs. It's, it's all around you, right? Um, you know, maybe get out of your head a little bit and, and go observe the people, the places, um, the ideas, the phenomenons around you. And if you're, if you're us, if you're a band and you're trying to continue doing it for another 20 years, observe the people that are supporting you, observe the things that are working that you like doing, um, and observe what's working and what's not, you know, and and observe the, you know, the scene and industry around you to try and figure out how to make that a reality. So that's probably, you know, it boils down to really just one word, but it's, it's more or less being mindful, I think, in that sense, that's, really important music or otherwise uh and that i've been trying to hold pretty closely as a a big part of my practice recently so yeah that's if you're looking for advice that would that's what i i guess i would i would say go forth and try to be observant uh in your in your day-to-day life and, and where it might be trying to guide you for this show i've talked to dan campbell matt brash and now casey cavalier to make it a wonder years hat trick Thanks so much to Casey for taking the time to talk and for all his work on both sides of the music spectrum. This one was truly a blast, so I hope you found it exciting too. For the first time, I can say I'll talk to you super soon. Don't forget to check back on Thursday for yet another candid conversation on music. With touring still off the table for the foreseeable future, I want to do everything in my power to spread the word and music of the artists I believe in. I'm so glad to have you along for the ride. Find the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Kaylee Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyOnTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyOnTheCallPod at gmail.com. Word of mouth is such an important thing in the DIY music world. Shout about what you love as loudly as possible, as often as possible. Fly on your call
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.